Mike Trout traded? Clayton Kershaw out for the season? What does it all mean? Well, it means April Fool's. But there'll be no fooling on the Friday News and Comment Edition next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, April the 1st. It's show number 14 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday news and comments show for you. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at Trevor Story, the bullpens in Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Cincinnati, and more. And from the American League, it's Jock Thompson, looking at the closer situation and starting rotation in Toronto, some important playing time changes in Boston, and much more. We'll also have our commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on Philadelphia right-handed starter Vincent Velasquez. In our playing time comment, Ryan Bloomfield looks at staying ahead of potential injuries in the San Francisco outfield and Shane Green nabbing the fifth starter spot in Detroit. In our frequent flyers comment, Alex Becky looks at Tyler White and Adam Conley. And in Master Notes, I'll be talking about my opening day resolutions. It's another big Friday show, and that's no fooling. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The real games start this weekend. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday edition, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League, and leading off it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. It's always good to be here, and we're getting ready for opening day. Aren't we just uh, going to be a couple of games, three games, I think, on Sunday night, and then a pretty full slate on Monday? It's uh, oh, the, just a terribly exciting time of year, and of course, there's going to be a lot of drafts going on this weekend, so let's bring some people up to date, especially on those closer battles, which p- play such a pivotal role in how auctions and drafts are going to go. And uh, Before we get to that, though, uh, Trevor Story in Colorado surprised quite a few people by picking up the shortstop job for the Rockies. This is covered in playing time today, and uh, Stephen Nickran's spring-hitting wrap-up. Uh, Jose Reyes, of course, was put on leave pending the completion of a domestic abuse trial. Trevor Story uh, bashed the ball during spring training, I think a 9-11 OPS in 45 at-bats, and he starts the year uh, manning the shortstop position. What do we think of Trevor Story? You know, yeah, he does start the year manning the shortstop position, and a lot of excitement looking at his, uh, his spring training at-bats, but of course the, uh, the issue is that the number of at-bats you get in the spring is fairly small, so we're looking at about 45 to 50 at-bats and a a very small sample size and the kind of uh, the kind of um, mix and match pitching things that you have some minor league pitchers some major league pitchers so hard to put too much stock in those spring numbers and I wouldn't get too excited about them I you go look at Trevor Story pull up Trevor Story on uh, Baseball HQ and look at his player link page and what you'll see is here's a guy with some power uh, very fairly substantial power projected but the, the, the big hitch with Trevor Story is can he get on base? We're looking at a projected on base percentage of 286, a projected batting average of 231. So here's a guy who may have some power, but certainly is not going to sustain the kind of batting average he had in the spring. 
uh, and that may eventually begin to tell on him. And of course, what we don't know at this point is what kind of a, 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 a home road split he's going to get when he's playing in Colorado versus away from Colorado. So keep that in mind. And the other thing to look at is the Jose Reyes story is, is developing. Uh, we under, understand that uh, charges against him have been dropped, although because his, uh, the, his, uh, uh, his uh, partner has refused to cooperate with the law enforcement agency. So uh, he's probably not going to wind up going to trial, not going to wind up doing any jail time, uh, but Major League Baseball could still levy a suspension for the domestic abuse charge. So that's up in the air. So Trevor's story is an interesting, certainly an interesting uh, uh, possibility early on, but I wouldn't spend too much money on him in a draft if I were doing it today. I have to say, not that it matters to the projection or anything, but I have to say it seems kind of unfair if a guy is accused of something and, and then they don't press charges, which means he hasn't been found guilty of anything, that Major League Baseball can come in and say, despite all that, you're still suspended. It just seems kind of like a violation of his rights somehow, doesn't it? And, and if so... Yeah, it does somehow, and you know, then you get, and certainly, it may be one of those situations where he gets uh, some kind of suspension and then appeals, uh, saying, with the appeal saying exactly what, uh, uh, what you have just noted, and uh, and that's reduced. So it's still kind of a, a situation that's very much up in the air. Now, supposing story can't hit in the early going, or, or sets up a, a you know a two seventy five on base percentage and doesn't hit the home runs that the team is expecting. He's a decent fielder. Uh, but suppose they need to replace him and Reyes is still uh, under this cloud. Who else is there that Colorado could turn to to play shortstop if Story doesn't measure up? Well, you know, that's, that, that becomes an issue. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot there that they have behind him that could be, uh, uh, that, that would uh, be exciting for them, let me put it that way, uh, in this particular case. I mean, the Story is the man, certainly, I think, for, for early on. Uh, they could, I, I guess, if that if that happens, turn to uh, uh, to Descalso or Adams. Uh, Descalso is currently injured at the moment, so not a whole lot of backup right now in that Colorado infield. And then, of course, the next thing that happens is you start looking at has anybody in the infield like Lemayhew or somebody like that ever played shortstop, you know, and and move, start shuffling pieces around. Colorado's in a bit of a of a pickle in that department. I think Ryan Rayburn. Uh, who's in the outfield currently with a sort of a 20% share. I think Ryan Rayburn played some infield years ago, did he not? He, he may have. He may have. And yeah, they're certainly a kind of short on infielders. I mean, if you look at the depth chart, there's nobody listed behind the Mayhew at all. Uh, they've got some depth listed at shortstop, but two two guys, uh, Reyes and Descalso, currently listed as injured. Uh, so uh, they're, they're kind of, Colorado's in a bit of a bind in the infield at this point. Our projection for Trevor's story is for uh, 316 at-bats, 12 homers, and 7 stolen bases, which are kind of useful $5 numbers if you're going to uh, you, you know, try to land a, a lightning in a bottle. If he gets a full season of at-bats, you could sort of add another, what, 7 home runs, 6 home runs, something like that. He could be around 2010, but you're going to have to absorb a 231, 230-ish batting average because that's where his expected batting average is also landing. So uh, eh, Trevor Story, an interesting guy in a deep league, a single league format, but I don't know about a mixed league. I don't think it's worth the risk. Uh, speaking of Colorado, Gerardo Parra was traded to Colorado, and then uh, Corey Dickerson was traded away from Colorado, which kind of cleared up the outfield situation, and he's really been climbing in the average draft positions. Uh, does that make him a good bet? You know, it, it's interesting because uh, you get a guy going to Colorado, Gerardo Parra, and suddenly he shoots up the uh, the draft charts. And I think Matthew Cedarholm had a, had some interesting comments about that this week. Uh, he said, "Let's inject some reality into the situation." 
Where did Gerardo Parra play last year? He played in Arizona. He played in Baltimore. Park effects for left-handed hitters are not much better in uh, in Colorado than they are in either of those places. So you shouldn't count on a big bump in Colorado. And what happened last year was Gerardo Parra had a wonderful first half. Uh, a lot of power spike in the first half last year. But be, be, before that, six years of below average power. Uh, so what are you going to count on here? Do you, do you expect that first half power bump, which did not carry into the second half, uh, to suddenly come back? Or is he going to be go back to being the Arado Para of uh, of old uh, or of normal, which he's always been? Uh, and he, uh, Para also struggles against left-handed pitching, and so uh, that's another issue. He may wind up in a platoon. I'm not sure I'd be jumping on the Arado Para bandwagon at this point just because he was traded to Colorado. You make an interesting point there about left-handers. I looked him up, and for the last three years, his OPS versus left-handers has been at least 150 points lower than versus right-handers, and his right-handed OPS is nothing to sneeze about either, and as much as 319 points lower than versus right-handers. So there's a real serious platoon split here that um, you you would almost wish if you rostered him that they don't play him against left-handers because he's going to get you know a couple of home runs and drive in a few runs kind of thing, but in the meantime, he's just going to kill you with all the other stats. You'd almost rather, as I say, have him just focusing in on, on the uh, on hitting against right-handed pitching and sitting against left-handers, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I would think so. I mean, it, 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 the, the split is so bad that uh, it's the kind of thing that uh, you're, you're much better off fantasy-wise if, uh, if he's not playing against left-handed pitchers. And on the subject of power, you mentioned that uh, uh, sort of a career of below-average power. Uh, in fact, in 2015, even counting that first-half power spike when he hit all those home runs and got into double-digit home runs for the year for only the second time, his power index last year was only 104, which is barely above league average. And every other year that he's been in the majors has been below uh, 100 or well below 100, down in the 70s and 80s. Uh, anybody who's signing Gerardo Parra thinking there's a big source of home runs here, Nick, I have to agree with you. I just don't think it's there. No, I don't think it's there either. So I you know, I would not be investing a lot in Gerardo Parra. And currently his, his average draft position is way too high. There's a couple of bullpen situations I'd like to talk with you about, Nick. First, in Milwaukee, they seem to be having a three-way contest, but Will Smith, the left-hander, tore his ACL, and it looks like Jeremy Jeffers is going to start the season, at least, as the closer in Milwaukee. This got covered in playing time today, and Doug Dennis, the bullpen's columnist at Baseball HQ, also weighed in on the Milwaukee bullpen. So, Jeremy Jeffers to the top of the list. Yeah, Jeremy Jeffers definitely at the top of the list uh, at this point. I mean, you know, it's interesting that the bullpens are, are sometimes the last things to get settled as we uh, head out of spring training. And so Milwaukee, uh, Will Smith's injury has really propelled Jeremy Jeffress into the, uh, uh, into the, this closer role. And Jeffress has, has to be fair. Jeffress has pitched very well in spring training. Uh, at this point, he's allowed no earned runs, five innings pitched, no earned runs, struck out five, walked two, uh, had a little bit of a problem giving up hits. So he's been putting some guys on base, but, uh, you know, that's not, they've not been coming around to score. So I think Jeffress is really very solid at this point and a 58% ground ball rate that, um, that will really, I think, help him in the closer role. Kind of borderline, uh, a projected BPV of 97. So almost elite, uh, not, not nearly as high as Will Smith's whose projected BPV was 145. But with Smith out of the picture, Jeffress certainly looks like the guy. 
And Je- uh, Jeffress actually had BPV's base performance values in 2014 and 15 over 100, which does seem to indicate at least that he has closer-worthy skills. And last year in particular, he really improved his walk rate and got over a 3.0 command for the first time. Yeah, very definitely. So Jeffers looks like he, you know, he certainly could do the job. Uh, the kind of the kind of pitcher who could really grab hold and run with the job, and maybe uh, have it solidly in control by the time Will Smith comes back. Uh, I presume this means Corey Nabel, who was kind of third in line, moves up to second in line. Should uh, Jeffers stumble or struggle in the early going? Yeah, I think that's certainly true. And Corey Nabel has struggled a little bit in spring training. It's you know one of those things where again you get a small sample size and don't really know what to make of it. But Corey Nabel has a uh, uh, a, a uh, ERA of 5.14 in the spring. He's given up uh, four in runs and seven innings pitched. Uh, otherwise, it pitched pretty well. A batting average against him of only 192, eight strikeouts uh, from from Corey Nabel in seven innings. So a lot of good things in the spring, uh, but that spring ERA is a little bit high, and so he'll probably wind up in the second position at least to start the season. I liked Nabel when I looked at him from 2015. Uh, he had a really terrific season that maybe was a little bit disguised. He's a little unfortunate in the ERA at 322. His expected ERA was a bit below that. But listen to these numbers, Nick. A 49% ground ball rate and a 10.4 dominance rate, 10.4 strikeouts per nine. And he was managing to, to hold his control pretty well at three walks per nine. A 3.4 command last year in 48 games. It was about 50 innings. That's not too shabby. I think Corey Nabel could make the kind of guy you might want to stash on your reserve, or if you're in a deep league, you might even want to grab him for a buck in the expectation that maybe Jeffress will struggle. And in the meantime, Nabel's not going to kill you. Right, very definitely. I think you're, you're right about that. Nabel's could be a good guy. And if you have Jeffress, certainly a good handcuff. And finally, Doug Dennis in his bullpens column about this situation mentions a sleeper candidate, David Goforth. Do you know anything about David Goforth? I really don't know much about David Goforth, but certainly, uh, you know, at this, and our projections on David Goforth are not that good at this point. Uh, but uh, you always want to take a look on those sorts of things. Uh, in, uh, let's see, spring training, trying to find Goforth's numbers. Not all that good, 5.73 ERA, but 10 strikeouts in 11 innings pitched and only one walk. So, uh, while uh, he's been been allowing some runners to score, those 10 strikeouts uh, to one walk sound pretty good. Last year, again, some pretty terrific skills. He had uh, 8.8 dom rate to 8.8 strikeouts per nine, 47% ground ball rate. These are good things, but he seems to give up a lot of hits. His walk rate, not too bad, but his whip last year, listen to this, 162. And uh, seeing as how he's not giving up walks, that means he must have been giving up a ton of hits. Yeah, seems to be giving up a ton of hits, and that can uh, you know that can make a difference. And so if that's happened in spring training too, uh, 11 hits at 11 innings pitched. Uh, so there seems to be a kind of a pattern here. And so if you were to sign Goforth, it would be a bit of a, uh, a bit of a speculative pick. You'd be waiting for Goforth to multiply? I guess so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Another closer mess with Philadelphia. The Phillies had three candidates coming into camp. Uh, David Hernandez looked like the favorite. Then Andrew Bailey, uh, often injured uh, former reliever and closer, and a newcomer, a relative newcomer, although an, uh, an older player, Dalie Hinojosa. Greg Pyron covered all of this in playing time tomorrow. He he covers the National League East. And Doug Dennis's bullpen buyer's guide also weighed in. Boy, what a story this is. Who Who's going to come out winning? Yeah, you know, I, I, the interesting thing is I, I think Doug Dennis made the, the most telling comment, Philadelphia might have the worst pin in the major leagues in 2016. Uh, and so I think that's the, that's the place where you need to start in looking at the Philadelphia pin and deciding if you want any of these guys on your roster. Uh, Andrew Bailey certainly started very well in the spring. Uh, there were some early, uh, early announcements that Bailey might take over as the closer and 
Uh, I saw him uh, grab very early in a couple of drafts that uh, that I was in that were were early on. And Andrew Bailey has, uh, uh, you know, Andrew Bailey's been injured a lot recently. He used to be a very fine pitcher, uh, but now he might not even make the team. He has stumbled a bit late on in spring training. He has minor league options remaining. Uh, they, they can he's on a, or he's on a minor league contract, so they can send him back, send him to the minor leagues, and not lose him. Uh, and that may be important early when they're when the roster is still getting kind of settled. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Andrew Bailey not be on the, the opening day roster and being sent uh, down to AAA to to begin the season. And so that would seem to leave David Hernandez and Hinojosa Hino, Hino as the uh, as the favorites coming out of camp. Hernandez has been the favorite all along. Has, certainly has the best projected BPV of the bunch, 106 uh, projected 10.7 DOM, 3.0 command. Uh, certainly perhaps something here, uh, for Hernandez as long as he stays healthy. Um, Hinojosa, our projections on Hinojosa are not very good. A 23 BPV, a 4.93, uh, expected earned run average, a 1.74 whip. So while he's done some things in camp, uh, it would be a real stretch, I think, to expect him to suddenly, uh, blossom and take over the closer role. I remember David Hernandez from a few years ago. I think he pitched for Baltimore for a couple of years. Then he had some pretty decent setup years in Arizona. Uh, I think his uh, ERAs were pretty respectable in Arizona, which is a tough pitcher's park. Uh, around 330 in 2011, around 250 in, in 2012. Whips were down around one. He was a really good pitcher, and then and then it just didn't seem to all work out somehow. Last year, 448 uh, and a 120, not so good. And now he's uh, now he's over here in. Uh, in uh, well, he missed 2014, and now he's over here in Philadelphia. And the comment you made about Andrew Bailey's contract is interesting too, because he can opt out on May 1st if he's not in the big leagues, which puts a certain amount of pressure on Philadelphia if they think he has any chance to contribute to have him on the roster. And if they have him on the roster, boy, you'd think they'd really want to have him uh, doing something worthwhile on the roster. Yeah, you, you do indeed. So it'll be interesting to see what he does the first month in the minor leagues. And you know, that really gives Philadelphia a chance to get an extended look at him if they send him down to start the season. And then they can make a decision on May 1st, whether there's anything that they're uh, there that, that's uh, worth, uh, uh, worth dealing with. And something interesting that was reported on by Greg Pyron, I thought, is that uh, the knock on Hinojosa over the years has been control issues, a 4.0 walks per nine uh, in 2015, and, and even worse than that in the minor leagues. But he hasn't walked anybody this spring, which might be, you know, it's a small sample, as we know, and he might have been facing college hitters or single-A hitters, and we just don't really know uh, to that level of detail. But it's going to open some eyes in the Philadelphia management structure. Hey, this guy's problem has been walking guys, and he isn't walking guys do you think maybe that gives him a little bit more of a leg up towards getting a, getting at least a shot it, you know it might indeed i mean philadelphia is in such a precarious situation in terms of their closer and hernandez certainly has been injured and, and just only has gotten four innings in so far in the spring so uh you know it's one of the situations where they've gotten a, a, to take a little better look at uh you know Joe. i i uh, i, I like uh, doug dennis's comment that this pin may be the worst in the majors and right now it really is a mess Baseball HQ is actually projecting Andrew Bailey to get half the saves this year with Hernandez at 40% and Hinojosa at 10%. Uh, and, of course, it sounds from what you've been saying, Nick, that that's a very uh, adjustable situation, shall we say. It could change at any minute, really. Right, very very definitely. I, I like Doug's comment. He says the Phillies do not do appear to have a week-to-week mindset about the role. So this could be a continually changing situation as the season progresses. 
And speaking of Doug Dennis, his column, uh, the spring wrap-up column, also looked at the Cincinnati bullpen, and of course Doug's a Cincinnati guy, and he says for right now, J.J. Hoover, the right-hander, seems to have the closer role because he survived spring training, so I think how he put it. And then, uh, But he says we really need to keep an eye on Jumbo Diaz because of skills, and uh, he's just a better pitcher. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, what you... Uh uh, it's one of those situations where spring training has presented us with a with a buying opportunity. I think, uh, in terms of in terms of fantasy, uh, Hoover has a, a in the spring has a two point two five ERA, seven strikeouts, two walks, and eight innings pitched. Has performed admirably, and uh, certainly looks like the guy to start the season. But uh, uh, Doug seems fairly certain that Jumbo Diaz is the guy early on. And what's happened to Jumbo Diaz this spring? is 14 hits and nine in his pitch, resulting in seven earned runs. So a terrible earned run average. Uh, those, those, those hits are a result of a, uh, uh, a, a, an unlucky batting average on balls in play uh, that has let guys get on base. But if you look at Jumbo Diaz, you're looking at, uh, at this point, 10 strikeouts and nine in his pitch, only three walks. Uh, the guy is certainly, I think, a better pitcher than Hoover and likely to be the closer, I agree with Doug, uh, likely to be the closer sooner, if not later, into the season. He mentions uh, left-handed former starter Tony Singrani's having a good spring. They're trying him out as a reliever. Is there uh, any chance that Singrani could get a, get a sniff? They're not not uh, averse to left-handed closers in Cincinnati. With uh, remember uh, um, Randy Myers, Norm Charlton, Aroldis Chapman. There's been a fairly steady parade of southpaw closers in uh, in in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, there's a possibility that Singrani could get could get an early look. But the thing to watch out: the Singrani's problem consistently has been. Uh, command issues, control issues, uh, and those have not gone away this spring. 11 innings pitched, five walks, uh, so 12 strikeouts, and that's great, but the five walks uh, could come back to bite him, uh, and it doesn't indicate that he's made much progress in the uh, uh, in the control area. Now, how about the dark horse? The dark horse that uh, Doug Dennis mentions is a former starter, a terrible starter, in fact, named Kevius Sampson. Yeah, Kibia Sampson is certainly someone to keep your eye on. Uh, uh, he's had a very solid spring, as Doug says, a very quiet spring. Uh, and if no one else is pitching well, the kind of guy who could emerge. So I agree with Doug. Keep an eye on him. Uh, uh, put him on the, on the watch list. Don't draft him yet. But uh, if there's turmoil in that Cincinnati pen, uh, Kibia Sampson certainly might emerge. He didn't pitch well at all last year for Cincinnati, as I mentioned, as a starting pitcher. ZRA was well over six. But in the minor leagues, he showed some flashes, especially as a strikeout pitcher and uh, and a guy who's been able to kind of control the walks to a certain extent as well, although he struggled with that uh, in the last couple of years, around 5.0 walks per nine. But again, that's because he was starting, and it seems like he could be one of these guys who just can't cut it as a starter. Maybe he doesn't have a third or fourth pitch. Maybe he can't command his third or fourth pitch. But if he gets in there for one inning at a time, good things happen. Well, what's you know what's been eye-opening this spring have been the strikeouts. Uh, Twelve strikeouts and nine innings pitched, and that's good. What's been not so good is six walks and nine innings pitched, uh, getting us down to a 2.0 command ratio for the spring, and that's not so good. Uh, and is a thing that could, in fact, uh, eventually prevent him from uh, being able to, to to get into or to hold a closer role. A very interesting situation. And if, gosh, if Philadelphia's bullpen is the worst, uh, Cincinnati's doesn't seem like him can be that far behind. Nick, uh, thanks very much for helping us out. We'll talk to you again next week after the real games have started. All right. Thank you, Patrick.
Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn over to the American League, and it's the director of news and analysis at BaseballHQ.com. It's Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hey, PD. Good to be here. Opening day this weekend. How excited are you? Pretty excited. Always fun. Lots of work to do. Lots to talk about. Let's start off by talking about a relief pitching situation in Toronto. They brought in Drew Storen in a trade for Ben Revere in the offseason, and all of the indications were they were doing that because they wanted him to close games, and that would allow them to move uh, Osuna from the closer role that he did very well last year and start stretching him out to be a starter because that's what they need. And then, lo and behold, they've just announced uh, recently that Osuna will start the season as the closer. Storen will go into setup. Uh, what's going on here with Toronto, and what do you think of it? You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, like Matt Dodge uh, talked about in his playing time today, uh, manager John Gibbons cited familiarity, quote-unquote, with uh, with Osuna, who, who did very well as, as a first-time and young and experienced closer last year for, uh, for Toronto, and he was more dominant than Storen was. He struck out uh, nine-and-a-half hitters per nine innings. Storen was down and has been down around seven or eight recently. And Storen's career has really been up and down. He's shown flashes of brilliance. He's had injuries. Uh, he's been in and out of the closer role. He saved 43 games uh, one year back in 2011, but it's been a long time since he's had a, a sustained effort there. So I think uh, it has something to do with stability and the way um, the way uh, Toronto management views their team, which they think they can compete in the uh, in the AL East right now. You know, Jock, all along when I was looking at this, I saw Osuna has a higher strikeout rate than, than Storen, and, and by quite a bit, actually. It's around 9.5 for his career. I think Storen is somewhere between 7 and 8 and bounces around in kind of in that range. And a much better ground ball rate as well. And I couldn't imagine why Toronto would think that they could afford to do this closer switch unless they thought that Osuna was going to be able to move relatively quickly into the starting rotation. Now, they haven't said anything about it, but I'm wondering if they suddenly realized that at his relatively young age, I still think he's just 21, that Osuna was not ready to take on the innings load that a starting pitcher requires, even a fifth starter. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And even if they wanted to make him a starter right now, which, um, I mean, down the road that could be a possibility, um, you're right. How many innings is he going to get you from f- as a starter, and particularly on a team that uh, that wants to contend in the East? And complicated uh, by the fact, I think I heard, maybe you can speak to it, I don't know, um, Asuna has said that he actually wants to stay in the pen. So maybe that has something to do with it as well. Well, I'm sure they want to keep him happy because he was so effective last year. And uh, and. At, at his young age, he's enjoyed quite a bit of success in that role. I wouldn't be surprised sometime in the future as he grows and gets a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger that Osuna may decide and the team or organization, whichever one he's with at that point, might decide that it makes more sense to get 175 or 180 innings a year out of a top quality pitcher than to get 65 or 70 that they're going to get out of a closer. But in the meantime, I have to tell you, Jock, Watching Toronto last year as they made their run for the uh, divisional pennant in uh, 2015, the one player out there who seemed to be completely oblivious to the strain and pressure was Osuna, the youngest guy on the team. Uh, I called him at the time a baby-faced assassin, and it was like you could you looked at him, and if you looked at his face, you would not know if he just struck out the side or if he just gave up a game-losing grand slam home run. He's just 
ice water in his veins. It reminded me a lot of Mariano Rivera in that way. Yeah, and obviously that's a good thing to have, and who knows, maybe Osuna becomes so successful as a closer that Toronto can't take him out. Um, on the other hand, I, I, I kind of lean toward you, um, barring um, him becoming Mariano Rivera, Toronto should be over the long haul at least still thinking about stretching him out as a starter and uh, and I know you're a little more optimistic perhaps than I am about their their rotation. I'm looking at their rotation right now and aside from um, from uh, uh, Marcus Stroman I'm, I'm seeing a lot of number four and number five pitchers. Um, I, I have always thought just a little that they fall out of contention they may send Osuna down as early as this year maybe mid or late season to stretch out uh, I could be wrong it's a it's a real interesting situation well there's two parts to that how how well does the rotation perform and how well does the team overall perform it looks like they're not going to score as many runs as last year at least that's the conventional wisdom but they have mostly the same players and uh, and they may even have Tulowitzki for a whole season, barring his usual injury, which should actually make them, if anything, a little stronger. Now the problem is they don't have a leadoff hitter. They're going to try a, a Pilar up there, and his his on base percentage I think is around three oh five, which is just simply not going to get the job done. And I wonder if we're going to see some other action there. But getting back to the uh, this idea of stretching out a, a pitcher. I think that had Mariano Rivera been able to be a starter, the Yankees would have made him a starter. The issue he had was that he just didn't have enough command of all of his pitches or enough pitches that he could survive over a seven or eight inning stretch because pretty soon even even the best cutter in baseball is going to get hit if they keep seeing it over and over again. And plus it's really hard on your arm too, so I, I think that might enter into it. But while we're talking about Toronto's um, rotation, Aaron Sanchez got the number five starting pitcher job, which was... A little bit of a surprise, but not a lot of a surprise. Yeah, um, he had a really good spring. Anyone who was watching uh, watching this uh, knows that. Um, and at the end of the spring, I really didn't think it was that much of a surprise. It shouldn't have been. He was fighting Gavin Floyd, who also pitched well. Um, but Sanchez was terrific. I mean, he, he tossed 20 innings, a 19-3 to 3, uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio. He reportedly added 20 pounds during the offseason to deal with the demands of a full year in the rotation, and he clearly wants to, wants to start. Uh, on the other hand, Floyd is, is pretty much a known commodity. He's, he's often been injured. Uh, he's only pitched, I think, a total of, um, of what, uh, 90-something innings, 94 innings over the last three years uh, combined. Um, 91 innings over the last three years combined. And before that, the four years when he was throwing more than 160 innings a year, he was generating a four-plus ERA. So a marginal guy at best. He's 33. Um, Sanchez has all kinds of upside. I don't want to put too much on his spring training performance, but he's still only 23. He has that terrific ground ball rate, which gives him a wonderful floor. It's somewhere in the 60s, and he still had it in spring training. Um, this is a guy who could be a number two starter for Toronto, and I think they need that kind of uh, profile in the rotation. I think uh, right now we're looking at Baseball HQ at about 130 innings as a projection, which is not number two starter material. But as you said, he's a, he, they made quite a bit of, uh, of his weight gain in the papers and the media here in the Toronto area. Uh, this year earlier, and he's 24. He's not. He's not a young man like Osuna is, which gives you a, a little more confidence that he's building up naturally, and that the, he's going to be able to carry the extra weight and the air, extra load. And and I think they probably made the right call here. I don't think anybody thought Floyd was going to amount to anything. Uh, the 
the competition was really with Drew Hutchison, and uh, Hutchison didn't pitch well at all. He got sent down relatively early, and then they said they were looking at Floyd versus Sanchez, but it, it looked like a pretty one-sided uh, affair considering how well Sanchez pitched with that very heavy strikeout-to-walk um, ratio in his favor. It was just really a, a, a one-sided competition from start to finish. And I would roster Aaron Sanchez if I hadn't uh, missed out on him at Tell Wars. Yeah, and I agree with you about um, uh, his chance of being a number two starter this year. The innings probably aren't going to be there. He tossed... Uh, 105 innings, I think, last year, 130 innings the year before. His cap is probably at about 150, 160 tops. I know we have him at 130. I think he can beat that. I think he, I, if I had to, you put a gun to my head, I'm projecting 150 innings for Sanchez, and he'll have a successful uh, first full year as a starter. But down the road, I think he has very much top of the rotation upside. We're projecting a 140 whip, so uh, Baseball HQ is not as excited about Aaron Sanchez as sounds like either of us, but uh, certainly it's worth uh, keeping in mind. I think he could be a much better pitcher than that. Uh, otherwise, in the Toronto rotation, you're looking at Dickey, who I don't think is the kind of guy I want on my team. I did roster Jay Happ, who, who's coming into Toronto after a real career readjustment in Pittsburgh. And I think Marco Estrada is underappreciated. Uh, my friend Gene McCaffrey says uh, Estrada is one of those guys who has sort of mediocre velocity, but he pitches up in the zone, and no major league hitter anymore knows how to hit up in the zone. Yeah, Estrada's an interesting guy. He's always had a big fly ball rate, and when he's good, he's very good. When he's bad, he gives up a lot of home runs. Um, so a lot of guys like that in baseball. It'll be interesting to see how well Sandoval does uh, pitching in what is a, a home-friendly park and in the AL East again. Yeah, you said Sandoval. I think you meant Estrada. And we're projecting him for 160 innings with a 394 ERA, 119 whip. It's a decent whip. It's kind of tough on the ERA because of the home runs. The uh, Baseball HQ valuation projection is about 6 bucks. I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he provides double that. But, of course, it's a, it's a crapshoot, and we'll have to wait and see. Let's move over to Boston, Jock. Uh, the big news here, speaking of Sandoval, was that Pablo Sandoval is going to be sitting on the bench at, instead of out, of out there at third base. They're going to play Travis Shaw. And now, of course, my first question is, are they going to have to bring in Carpenters to reinforce the bench? But we talked about this last week, and you sounded at least skeptical that Boston would take a high-contract guy like Sandoval and just tell him he's going to be riding pine. Yeah, you know, this announcement really didn't surprise me. I mean, Sandoval, if anything, needed a fire lit under him. What I'm skeptical about is that Sandoval will be sitting on that bench, partly for the reason you just mentioned, uh, um, the fact that they're going to have to reinforce that bench, um, but um, partly because of that contract and also because if if you look at his performance uh, in, in recent uh, years, it's lefties who've really given Sandoval problems. Even last year was was his worst year against right-handed pitching. He still hit 266 with 10 home runs. Um, he can probably still do that and more even now in friendlier Fenway Park. And as good as uh, Travis Shaw has been, and he's been very good, and I think Boston will give him a chance to establish himself, um, he hit 249 against uh, right-handed pitching last year. So they're really not that far apart. Interestingly, where they are far apart is that Shaw, who also hits left-handed, had a 975 OPS against southpaw pitching last year versus Sandoval's 465. So it, if 
it looks like Boston, if Travis Shaw continues to hit anywhere near that kind of way, could have Shaw not even being in a platoon. He looks like he can handle the handle the action from both sides on the mound. Yeah, it's a real interesting situation because you got Brock Holt too, and he's he's going to factor into that mix. I really think that uh, either Sandoval is going to get traded or he's going to get two, three starts a week to see if Boston can somehow reclaim some of that uh, some of that value that awful deal and maybe maybe Sandoval can can be productive as a part-timer um it's uh it's fascinating Boston has a whole bunch going on there right now including in their outfield you mentioned Brock Holt there are some other guys there they acquired Chris Young and now they've announced that Rusny Castillo their big signing out of Cuba will be riding the bench since sitting beside Pablo Sandoval I guess and maybe playing some fill in here and there and left and center this is a fairly big announcement to me. That Rosny Castillo was getting drafted for, you know, not hundreds of dollars in drafts, but he went higher than a dollar. What do you think was going on here with Rosny Castillo, and how does this affect his value? Well, Castillo's spring training performance was just more of the same that Boston had seen previously. Uh, lots of ground balls. He, he wasn't hitting much of anything with any authority. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised at all if he gets a minor league demotion just to see if there's any way Boston can jumpstart him with uh, with maybe more frequent playing time. And it's it's possible that he's still struggling with some of the culture shock that can last for a while with some imports. But this kind of performance now at age 28 suggests that his owner should be a little concerned, and even that he's a shallow league drop uh, in some cases. Uh, um, Boston's got to be pretty disappointed with that, but fortunately they have some depth on the bench in uh, terms of uh, Brock Holt and Chris Young. Well, that raises the question, out of Brock Holt and Chris Young, who do you like? Do you like them both? What's going to happen uh, with that? Well, if you look at their histories, um, um, the thing that really makes Holt stands out is he, he can hit for average. He's, he's hit 281 and 280 the last, uh, both of the last two years in 400-plus at-bats. He uh, will play all over the, the field. He'll play some second base. If Pedroia gets hurt, he'll play third base. Uh, now we know third base is going to be open. Um, he can play shortstop, and he can play all over the outfield. Uh, Young is a little different. He still has some power, and in his good years, he's going to hit left-handed hit, lift, hit left-handed pitching. But his average is going to be a drag. I'd be surprised if he got a lot more than 200 at-bats this year. Um, I'd personally take Holt both both for the versatility and the plate skills. I think versatility is the key, Jock. You're right about that, uh, especially in, in a single-league format where you have to fill in uh, some injury replacement time and often are faced with a fairly poor selection of players if you're restricted to a particular position. It's nice to have a Brock Holt, a Ben Zobrist, um, the, the guy down Marwin Gonzalez in Houston who has uh, eligibility all around the field except catcher in some leagues. Those kind of guys are really valuable, and I like Holt a lot better than Young, unless you really need power, and even at that it's going to be fairly restricted as far as playing time is concerned. Uh, Earlier we were talking about the closer situation in Toronto. There's no closer in Houston yet, which is kind of surprising because the assumption in the expert community, everything I read, said that obviously this whole situation was going to be Ken Giles closing, Luke Gregerson setting up. But Houston refuses to say that's the situation. And this week they even admitted they are undecided. You wrote about this in Playing Time Tomorrow. You cover the American League West. What the heck is going on with that Houston bullpen? Well, part of this problem is Houston's own making. Uh, When they acquired Giles, even though it was clear that they intended him to handle the ninth inning, management didn't make a call then. They, they, They... were mum as far as who was going to be the closer is. They had an incumbent, Gregerson, who did a credible, if not uh, lights-out job as uh, as closer. He doesn't have the dominance that Giles have. And since then, Giles 
hasn't been great this spring. He hasn't exactly seized the job. He was scored upon in five of his first seven outings. Um, Gregerson has been out for most of the spring dealing with what, what has turned to be a minor oblique problem, but he came out uh, his first uh, outing and he struck out the side. Um, and it's kind of an interesting situation. You have the veteran versus the youngster. Um, now we're down to dealing, or Houston's down to dealing with small sample outings, and this could actually go either way in uh, in 2016. I still think longer term, Giles is going to be the guy, but it wouldn't surprise me at all um, if, at least at the beginning, until Giles seizes the job, that they give Gregerson the job for maybe a month or two. It's not like Gregerson is the classic kind of closer with those great strikeout skills and uh, you know blowing people away but what he does is he doesn't walk anybody for the last couple of years he's been under 2.0 walks per nine for his control ratio but his strikeout rate is only around eight it gives him a nice command ratio of strikeouts to walks but it's not classical closer stuff Having said that, he's been really successful. He got 31 saves last year uh, and was and was very consistently good out of the bullpen for Houston. And it must make everybody nervous. I think Houston aspires to win that division. Yeah, well, and on the other hand, actually, Giles, as we both know, I think Giles did have the job in the second half in Philadelphia last year, and he was lights out. So what is this going to do to Giles' confidence? So Houston's in a bit of a pickle right now. I'm not a big one for confidence. I, I'd be more concerned if I was Houston about whether it'll just make him mad, and and you know, want, and he'll just say, "Look, I want out." In the in the way that modern ball players often do, because they have the whip hand given the contract levels and so forth. Although he's a young guy, probably salary constrained at this point. It's a pretty interesting situation, and it, it's something that I think that everybody needs to watch because. If they start with Gregerson and then he doesn't do well and Giles backs into the role, will Giles be effective because he's going to have his nose out of joint? There's a lot of stuff going on here. And these are people, after all. They're not machines when we sometimes lose sight of that. Uh, and finally, Jock, in Baltimore, they made something of a splash in the offseason hiring Hyunsoo Kim out of Korea. And now it looks like they're sending him back. Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating situation. They signed him to um, to what I think a couple year contract. He really struggled at the beginning of spring. Um, he he's he's hit a little better recently, but all of his hits have been singles. And he was a, he was uh, he hit for a little more power than that in uh, in Korea uh, with 28 home runs. He wasn't expected to be a huge power hitter uh, here in, uh, in in Baltimore in the United States, but he was. I think Baltimore expected more. And in the meantime, um, Joey Rickard, uh, Rule Five pick, has been one of the stars of the camp. He's stolen some bases. He's gone 20, 20 for 51. Um, um, and right now we have him projected to get more playing time than um, Hyunsoo Kim. It's a very weird situation. And Rickard, uh, is a, as you said, he's a Rule 5 pick. And while he's a star in camp, uh, do you think that people should be really uh, aggressively going out to grab Joey Rickard given his sketchy background in the major leagues at at the uh, at the level we're kind of expecting him to play? Well, aggressively no because again, like you said, he's he's a rule 5 guy, but I've looked at his minor league record and his base running skills are are pretty decent. His uh, his plate skills aren't terrible. Um, I I potentially see he, him with the chance of being this year Delino, this year's Delino de Shields. Now it's a flyer, granted, but it's the kind of flyer that uh, um, if you put your your top ten in a box, you know he might be at, at the bottom of that list. Um, it's if you can get him for a cheap enough price, why not? 
Baseball HQ has him projected for 50% of the uh, one of the outfield playing time slots or maybe a couple of them here and there, which is third in the on the team. They've got Kim still down for 35%, but that could really shrink if they just cut bait and send him back home. Of course, Adam Jones will dominate out there, but it looks like Joey Rickard is somehow standing there thinking he might be uh, close to a full-time player all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at those 16 bases, and that's what I meant by checking out his minor league numbers, he has good base running skills. And 16 stolen bases in the from the American League, that's, that's pretty much gold these days. Boy, is it ever uh, stolen bases hard to come by. Uh, it's going to be somebody who's going to go in drafts this weekend, I'm sure of it, and probably his price has jumped up pretty considerably. Uh, Jock, thanks a million for helping us out this week. Enjoy opening day, and we'll talk to you again next Friday. Okay, PD, thanks. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our commentaries are coming up. Stay with us on Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Ray Murphy with a special draft day offer for listeners of the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. Over the next couple of weekends, fantasy baseball players like you will be heading into drafts and auctions. From Arcadia, California to Yazoo City, Mississippi, and from Albany, New York to Walla Walla, Washington. We want you to take BaseballHQ.com into your draft room to help you come out with a winning team. Baseball HQ has a complete set of draft tools to help you have the best draft you possibly can. For straight draft players, we've just updated our comprehensive straight draft guide. For auction players, our custom draft guide lets you set your league's parameters. Not just for scoring categories, but for hitter pitcher splits, category weights, position scarcity, and much more. And then you get customized player value projections that will put you miles ahead of all those guys in your league with their magazines. And every fantasy drafter will be able to use the spring training wrap-ups in our buyer's guide columns, the news and analysis in our playing time coverage, strategy ideas in our gaming columns, ongoing performance analysis in our regular facts and flukes columns. Even our industry-recognized fantasy research can give you the edge. Would you like to know how catchers influence fantasy value for pitchers? Our new study on framing will tell you exactly that. And if you like to play some long shots and we all do, you'll get valuable insight from our speculator column. All of this and more is yours at BaseballHQ.com, and we have a limited time offer for Baseball HQ Radio listeners. We'll give you a $10 discount off any subscription. Just enter the code HQRadio, all one word, in the coupon box at checkout. Remember, that's HQRadio, all one word, in the coupon box at checkout, to get $10 off a draft prep or full season subscription to BaseballHQ.com. Act fast, because this offer ends at 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, April 3rd. Once again, HQ Radio, all one word in the coupon box at checkout. Have a great draft and a winning season with us at BaseballHQ.com. And thanks for listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Just before we get to our commentaries, I just want to talk briefly about BaseballHQ.com, our Playing Time Today columns. The boys are just working overtime, updating those really regularly to allocate plate appearances and innings pitched as all the final cuts are being made, the positions are being awarded at the end of spring training. This is something you really have to see. It's so valuable for your drafts if you're having drafts this weekend. Now it's time for our regular Friday commentaries. We have playing time coming up, frequent flyers and master notes, but leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Philadelphia right-handed starting pitcher Vincent Velasquez is BaseballHQ.com Minor League's analyst Rob Gordon. 
Every spring, there are an abundance of rumors about prospects who have a chance to win a rotation spot or make an opening day lineup, but in the end, few of them actually do. The reality is that there's still a huge financial and developmental incentive for teams to be conservative about entrusting rookies with starting roles right out of the gate. Already, we've seen some of the top prospects like Trey Turner, Nomar Mazzara, Lucas Giolito, Blake Snell, Tyler Glasnow, A.J. Reed, and others get sent down for further seasoning. One prospect who has bucked those odds and secured an opening day role is the Phillies' Vince Velasquez. The 23-year-old Velasquez came over from Houston as part of the Ken Giles deal in December after posting a 4.37 ERA in 19 appearances with the Astros. Velasquez, who was a second-round pick in 2010, has flown a bit under the prospect radar, in part because injuries have slowed his development. He had Tommy John surgery in 2011 and then missed the last two months of the 2014 season with a serious groin injury. As a result, he's yet to log more than 110 innings in any season as a pro. But when Velasquez is on the mound, he has the tools to dominate. He comes after hitters with a lively 92-95 mile an hour fastball, a plus changeup, and an improved breaking ball. Velasquez has been lights out this spring, posting a 2.25 ERA while striking out 24 in 20 innings. He does occasionally struggle with control, but owners in NL-only formats looking for an endgame flyer could certainly do much worse than the Phillies' Vince Velasquez. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get and keep the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on the top prospects, all the organization moves, daily call-ups reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, then BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our playing time segment, where we look at situations that could mean players getting more playing time or losing those at-bats and innings. In this week's edition, we'll look at staying ahead of the potential injuries in San Francisco's outfield and at Shane Green nabbing the fifth starter spot in Detroit. And here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Starting outfield in San Francisco has been set for a while as Angel Pagan, Denard Spann, and Hunter Pence will handle starting gigs from left to right field. However, all three enter 2016 with F health grades on their BaseballHQ.com report cards due to significant time on the DL over the last three seasons. Spann and Pagan particularly are at an elevated risk of injury given their age and nagging injuries over the past few years. Gregor Blanco is the one to speculate on here in deep leagues as he's the club's fourth and final outfielder on the opening day roster. Blanco hit 291 with five homers and 13 steals over just 327 at-bats in 2015 and his skill set has quietly been improving as he hits his early 30s. Blanco makes plus contact, hits the ball on the ground, and he can still run well, so he'll provide a decent batting average with considerable stolen base upside if he gets some playing time. We like to look forward in our playing time tomorrow columns on BaseballHQ.com, and San Francisco's outfield is a perfect example of being ahead of the curve, especially in deep leagues. If you're short on speed and have room to stash Gregor Blanco, he could pay off big once the injury bug hits by the bay. To the AL, we go to Detroit, where Shane Green looks to be the Tigers' fifth starter entering this season. Green was an extremely popular breakout candidate last season, and he looked like an ace through his first three starts, but was shelled shortly thereafter. On the whole, Green went 84 innings with a 6.88 ERA in the majors last year. Green was quietly battling an injury, though, where he lost feeling in some of his fingers last year, which, safe to say, probably affected his overall performance. 
Green's only two years removed from an excellent MLB showing with a 50% ground ball rate and over a strikeout per inning, over 79 innings in 2014. Green's supposedly healthy entering this season, this go-around, and if you're in deep leagues with owners who were burned by Green last year, now might be the time to pounce. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has his playing time commentary here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast every week. Now it's time for our Frequent Flyers commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer because they're going to be available in your free agent pool or late in your draft, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyers are Tyler White and Adam Conley, and here to tell you all about them is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. Boy, when Baseball HQ's 2016 Minor League Baseball analyst predicted that Tyler White would debut in 2016, they weren't kidding. That's off to our own Rob Gordon and Jeremy Deloney on another great prediction. Tyler White, who will be the Houston Astros' opening day first baseman, is the first of two frequent flyers we'll profile this week, including a Miami Marlins pitcher who has been sharp with all of his stuff, according to Marlins manager Don Mattingly. But first, who is Tyler White? Our own Jack Thompson in the March 23rd edition of Plague Time Today on BaseballHQ.com called Tyler White a batting average asset and a potential stud in OBP leagues. Why? Let's look at the numbers. Not only does Tyler White own a career 311 minor league batting average, but he batted 325 through two levels of the minors last season, including batting 343 with seven home runs in 46 games after the All-Star break at AAA Fresno. His OBP of 442 in 2015 was also impressive. He finished the 2015 season with an OPS of 939. Not bad. Plus, Tyler White's batting eye at AAA in 2015 was 111, which shows excellent strike zone judgment, as contact rate was 82% in 2015. So how will that translate to the majors? Using BaseballHQ.com's major league equivalencies, Tyler White's 343 batting average in 2015 would equate to a 267 batting average at the major league level. That's certainly serviceable. However, with a potential rating of 6B, Tyler White has roughly a 70% probability of reaching his potential as a platoon player at the major league level, according to BaseballHQ.com. So don't go crazy, because Tyler White, like all of our frequent flyers, are long shots who may be worth a flyer if they are available in your league. If you're in an AL-only league, Tyler White is certainly worth a pickup, especially when you consider that A.J. Reed who many expected to win the first base job, has not played a game above AA prior to this year. Speaking of excelling above the AA level prior to this year, 25-year-old Miami Marlins left-hander Adam Conley put up pretty decent AAA numbers in the hitter-friendly Pacific Coast League last year before receiving the call to join the Marlins. Adam Conley posted a 9-3 record with a 2.52 ERA and 117 whip and 18 starts at AAA New Orleans in 2015, where he led the Zephyrs in wins and strikeouts. After receiving the call, Conley went 4-1 with a 3.76 ERA as a member of the Marlins. Plus, he struck out 59 batters and 67 innings pitched at the big league level. Not to mention, Adam Conley led the Marlins staff in strikeouts last September with 30. 
Sure, his sub .9 Dom and 11 starts with the Marlins last year should be considered a lead, according to BaseballHQ.com's seven or higher benchmark, but is it repeatable? Adam Conley's 8.1 career Dom in the minors says, yes, it could be repeatable at the major league level. However, BaseballHQ.com's major league equivalencies shows that Adam Conley's 8.1 Dom in 2015 would equate to a 5.4 Dom at the major league level, well below the 7.0 threshold that we would consider to be elite. Perhaps Adam Conley's biggest red flag in 2015 was allowing 7 home runs in only 15 games. Not good. Although BaseballHQ.com projects a base performance value of 55 for Conley in 2016, which is slightly above the minimum 50 BPV required for long-term success, Conley did earn an 85 BPV in 2015. Then again, as BaseballHQ.com's Brian Rudd pointed out in the March 24th edition of Facts and Flukes, Conley doesn't offer a great deal of upside, but he looks like a solid, low-cost target worth speculating on. And that, in the words of Brian Rudd, makes for two solid, low-cost targets worth speculating on. Tyler White and Adam Conley, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. This week I want to talk about opening day resolutions. As we head into the opening day weekend and the real stats begin their slow piling up, I'm making a few opening day resolutions. They're kind of like New Year's resolutions, but with less guilt after the first two weeks. Or at least I hope so. First, a little background. I'm playing two leagues this year. A 12-team 5x5 American League only, my Tout Wars team, and a 15-team mixed 6x6 league that includes on-base percentage and holds for pitchers. Yes, batting average and on-base percentage. So without further preamble, besides eating fewer Pringles, walking the dog farther than the end of the driveway, and learning to play the piano, here are my four resolutions for opening day 2016. Resolution 1, get active and stay active. This one actually sounds like a New Year's resolution. In past years, I think I've relied too heavily on my draft and not been diligent enough about in-season management. We've learned through some good research that something like 25% of our final stats are not going to be drafted. For some owners, it's even more than 25%. That means it's going to be a top priority for me to stay, well, if not ahead, at least equal with my competitors in monitoring the free agent pool and the day-to-day activity at the major league level. I'll really be relying on BaseballHQ.com scouting section, especially those daily call-ups reports. The usual wisdom is that paying attention is more important in single-league formats because of the thinness of the free agent pool. But I think there's an argument to be made that the benefits are also important in shallow leagues like my 15-team mixed because the quality of the free agents is higher, so it makes sense to get the best ones aggressively. Resolution number two, be less aggressive giving and getting trade offers. I'm a big believer in being a purely logical trader and trying to put together deals that offer benefits to both sides based on category improvement, and especially category improvement by my trading partner that sends him past my overall competitors. 
Over the last few years, my usual method of launching trade offers has been to provide my potential partner with extremely detailed analysis of how much each of us gains or loses in each category, which other teams get passed, and how passing those other teams also helps us. This hasn't really led to making as many helpful trades as I'd like. I'm not sure why, because if anyone sent me an offer like that and the analysis made sense, I'd do the deal in less time than it takes me to eat half a tube of Pringles. Instead, however, I've actually received replies that say, in essence, I agree with this analysis and I think you're right. I agree it will help us both gain points and it will hurt our competitors. I'll pass anyway. Sometimes it turns out I was asking for a favorite player. Sometimes it turns out that particular owner had other trading plans for that player. I had an owner once in a non-experts league tell me he was just scared to do the deal because it made too much sense. And no, I wasn't in a league with Dave Stewart or Ruben Amaro. He said my ability to parse the details of the trade made him think that I knew something he didn't. And in fact, I did know something he didn't, that making the trade would help us both, just like I described. So this year, I'm going to take a different approach. I have the feeling that trades are best begun gently, so I'm going to emulate the trade offers I usually get, which are typically vague and offer benefits only in the extreme abstract. You look like you could use some pitching. What would you offer me for Phil Hughes? And while I'm pretty sure I will never again trade for Phil Hughes, I'm going to try to keep the conversation going by asking in very general terms about someone else. And I'm going to keep the detailed analysis to myself. Resolution number three, take in more games. One of the hazards of thinking and writing about fantasy baseball is that it moves appreciation of the real games with real players on a real field into some kind of subordinate position. So this year I definitely intend to watch more games, both live and on TV, and especially to listen to more games on SiriusXM or MLB.com. Now, I don't believe I'm going to pick up any of the nuances of Jay Happ's delivery from my 500-level seat high above the field at Rogers Center, nor from the radio, of course, but I should watch more games. Since my tout team has a few mini-stacks, I've got several players each from Detroit, Oakland, and Tampa, I could even nip down to Toronto once in a while and see a game or two from each of them. There might also be some useful intel from the broadcasts, especially now that Harold Reynolds isn't involved in any of them. Radio broadcasts can be extra useful in this regard since many of them now have local beat reporters as guests in the booth. You sometimes see this on TV as well. It's common to hear from experts that the players are just the roulette balls in our game and we should consider them as such. And in fact, that's what I've been doing for a very long time. So this year I'm going to try something different. I'm going to keep track of them as athletes and people, too. And finally, resolution number four. I'm going to take it all less seriously. For too long, I've lived and died with every night of baseball action. I've snapped at my kids because John Burkett had just given up nine earned runs in two-thirds of an inning. I've been despondent because my hitters went a combined two for 38, with no homers, no steals, no RBIs, no runs. I routinely get very angry at managers who pull my pitcher when he's tied or leave him in when he's tied. And it all depends on the outcome, which is just unfair and dumb. This approach is even less healthy than Pringles, so this year it's going to be different. I'm still going to try hard, as I've noted, and I'm still going to be diligent. But I'm also going to try to remember that, hey, it's just a game. That nothing, well, nothing much, is riding on the outcome. And that, above all, it should be fun. And if it isn't... I think I'm doing something wrong. 
For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt of BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, April the 1st. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 14 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. I want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League Minute analyst was Rob Gordon. Our Playing Time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. And our Frequent Flyers commentator was Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope you enjoyed Master Notes this week. And of course, I always hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com, where you can have your say on what the show sounds like and be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again with a Tuesday Tout edition and the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners, Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.